0: claim based on total game offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
1: In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo, our latest edition, and I'm very happy to be joined by a nine-year NHL veteran, one of the best defensive forwards in the NHL, certainly one of the hardest-hitting forwards in the NHL. He's turned into a very big fan favorite here in Minnesota and definitely uh, 100% a go-to quote from the beat writers, uh, Marcus Foligno. How are you today?
2: Hey, Michael, we're doing good. Thanks for having me on. I can't, you said nine years. That does It's been going by way too fast then.
1: It's it's amazing. I talked to James Van Riemsdyk for a radio show that I did the other day, and all of a sudden, I, I called him an 11 year veteran. and I still remember this young James Van Riemsdyk and this young Patrick Kane at the two, seven, 2007 NHL uh, Stanley Cup Final in uh, in uh, Anaheim, and it just it really does make you realize how quick things go by.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. Hopefully, hopefully, many more years will come. <laughs>
1: Marcus, you've been up in uh, in Sudbury. uh, That's where you are, right? Up in Sudbury. Yeah, yeah, up in Sudbury, Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've been obviously watching what's been going on in the Twin Cities from afar. Um, You know how? You know what's your reaction to just what type of uh, tough week and a half this has been in a uh, in a place that that I know that you've grown very very fond of.
2: Yeah. You know, um, it's, uh, obviously being up in Southern Ontario, we're kind of in a little bubble up here ourselves. And, and, um, you know, when you get news like that and, um, it's obviously very devastating. I mean, it's, uh, scary. Um, it's, uh, obviously what's been going on in Minneapolis, uh, um, definitely with, uh, with the protesters, it's obviously very difficult to see, uh, the damage, but, um, it just, it kind of is enough is enough. And, um, you know, you you want uh, things uh, like equality and, and and things like that. To, um, and you know, the video that we saw with the police officer to never, you never want to see stuff like that. Um, so you know, what the the voice of the people is, of um, you know, the black community is being heard and, and rightfully so. And um, it's just very tough to see it get to a point like this. Um, I believe in. Um, you know, talking to my brother a lot about it. You know, lately family, um, it's just such a um, a terrible thing to kind of go through. And and now having children, I think uh, you know my daughter is two years old now. I think that um, the best way to act is to make sure that generation uh, um, learns from it, and 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 we learn from it, and, and to teach our kids, um, you know, what's right from wrong, and and that everyone should be treated equally. So. Um, that's the biggest thing that uh I think um I'm getting from all of this uh, again a lot of people I've seen a lot of guys throw quotes and and what, share their their feelings or what they're thinking um from hockey players um you know Vander Kane I played with Vander Kane uh, JT Brown um you know guys who um you know JT Brown especially because you know he's he's done uh, somewhat of a movement uh you know during during the national anthem and um you support guys like that 100% because um at the time um you know it might have not have been um unfortunately it wasn't as as voiced but uh now seeing seeing it firsthand and just seeing how the world's reacted to it um you get behind those guys a uh, 100% and uh you know we hope that we can all come together as a community um worldwide and especially in Minneapolis too um you know kind of squash this this hatred and um Inequality, yeah, inequality and stuff like that. So, all for what's going on, but it just, it just, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, you don't want to see anyone get hurt from it, uh from from the, mm-hmm. from the kind of protesting. But all for it.
1: It does seem like we are in a pivotal moment in our time. at this time, it could be different. Just the reaction, you know, a lot of times when you have incidents like this, it. You know, obviously you have that reaction right away, but then it seems to taper off when we all go back to our regular lives. But this one, you know, I don't know if it's just the shock of that video and the absolute callousness by by four police officers for for eight and a half minutes or what it is. But this time it does seem like real change could be on the horizon. And all of us, especially white people. Um, are realizing how race inequality and social injustice and police brutality is a major, major uh, role and a part of our society and something that needs to be changed. And now it's it's up to us to help it change, not just the black community.
2: Absolutely, it has to be from everyone, uh, um, all different uh, types of people and, and races, and, and yeah, exactly. It's not just. Uh, um, from the white community you got to look at all aspects of what people believe in different religion or um, the LGBTQ everything like that you, you want everyone to have equal rights and and um, and have obviously uh, um, a system in place that, that does that so um, you know what this is uh, if this is it I, I'm you know hopefully that we can start moving in the right direction um, you know not just in America but worldwide like I said so um, it's definitely something that everyone, uh has to get behind and and you know not share a voice but but share action and and do and um uh, i think i think we're, we're going to start to see it and, and that's you know that's 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 huge for for you know america and and you know for people who have been um in for their whole lives so it's it's something that uh everyone should be behind
1: and uh, as Marcus mentioned, J.T. Brown has been uh, very vocal, especially uh, publicly. The last uh, couple days, he uh, protested. Uh, uh, were part of the protests uh, a couple days ago. We saw Matt Dumba was on TSN yesterday. Um, and, and there has been, uh, a lot of coverage in the athletic as well, especially from John Krasinski, uh, one of our writers here in town one of our most eloquent writers at the entire athletic. And he, uh, did a Q and a with Josh Okogi. He, uh, was at the Steven Jackson press conference with Jamie Foxx the other day. Um, and he also wrote a very, very personal reflection on the hard truth that Minneapolis has faced, um, from somebody that grew up here and all that stuff could be, uh, uh, read on The Athletic and it's totally unlocked for everybody to read. He's also going to be doing a story on Mike Max, the WCCO reporter uh, tomorrow as well, um, who's a sports reporter that's out there and covering this as well. Um, Marcus, um, and again, we're talking with Marcus Felino. This is Straight from the Source on The Athletic. To subscribe, you can go to athletic.com slash Straight from the Source and get uh, 40% off. Um, Marcus just wanted to talk a lot about um, your career, your career here in Minnesota, um, your, your family life as well. We've done so much on your family Um, um, Marcus and it's you know I'm reminded by the fact that Nick Foligno was on uh, one of our podcasts last week with Scott Burnside and Pierre LeBron and he talked a lot about um, you know growing up with you and and becoming hockey players and just how much you looked up to your father how how much you know do do you remember as a kid really uh, recognizing what type of player your father was how important he was in uh, in hockey and wanting to maybe follow in in his footsteps.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I was obviously younger than Nick at the time. Nick maybe got to see more of my dad's, uh, a little bit of my dad's end of his career. Mm -hmm. Um, I was more around the coaching aspect, the coaching career of my dad. Um, But that was pretty lucky to do that, too, because um, my dad got to coach in Colorado with likes of Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, Patty Wall, um, Adam Foote, Rob Blake, guys like that. I mean, it's just something Mm -hmm. that... uh, um, being being around at, at that age and, and being able to go to a, a practice here and there or a morning skate and be able to skate get on the ice for a bit and take a couple laps and um, just being around all that stuff I think that was the biggest thing but then you know when I luckily for old videos and, and YouTube you get to see my dad's highlights and things like that of how he played <laughs> um, you know everyone remember I think the biggest thing was probably the uh, 93 playoffs in Toronto uh, I think that was called the uh, pastor there was the the um, they, they named it something, but there's a big uh, – my dad has a kind of a VHS tape of it, videotape of it, and uh, we, we watch it every – I remember when I was young, I would just put it in when I was bored and watch it, and he had a lot of highlights and kind of talked about how the type of player he was in the room and um, kind of a leader and then just the all-energy guy and, and played with passion every night. And um, that was – I think that's the biggest thing that I kind of got from my career was the way my dad played. I think he played all out um Mm -hmm. he was a hard worker he was a team guy he he stuck up for teammates um and and that was the biggest thing I think we just enjoyed it you know I think when my dad scored that overtime goal where he shut off all his gloves and look he won the Stanley Cup but it was only the (laughs) first round against Detroit and they didn't even beat them yet but I think the excitement that my dad played with um made other guys excited around him and and wanted to play uh that much harder and and um that was always something I'll never forget and that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be a team player like that and that kind of just kind of um, engraved Nick and I on how to kind of play that sandpaper type game and but uh, at the same time be liked in the room and and, um, you know there's no better success than when you uh, can accomplish a a goal Stanley Cup um, dream with a group of 20 so guys so um, I think that's one of the best things about hockey is that you get to do it do it that way and um, it was always fun kind of Watching my dad play, and that's how we, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In that sense,
1: yeah, no doubt. And uh, Nick Felino, obviously the longtime captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Marcus is older, but uh, not so much bigger uh, brother. <laughs> His Celine Dion loving brother, by the way. Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. Nick Nick <laughs> um Although, although I remember when I did the, my first brother brother story on you guys, uh, Nick Nick Foligno said that Minnesota just got the uglier version of him.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's what he, that's what he tells himself, <laughs> just to make himself sleep better at night, but we all know it's not true.
1: Yeah, but isn't it interesting? I mean, your, your dad, you know, he scored 355 goals in, in 1,018 NHL games for the Red Wings, the Sabres, the Maple Leafs, and the Florida Panthers. Uh, I forgot that you lived in Boca Raton, Florida, my hometown. Um, he, but he also okay. ranks 51st in NHL history with 2,049 penalty minutes, and it's just, I find it very interesting that it's almost like Nick... You know, and trust me, we've seen your skill. You have skill. But Nick got the, it seemed like the goal scoring <laughs> touch. You got the, the hard nosed, hard hitting, gritty t- t- touch. But yet, as a leader, you both are that guy. I mean, you know, Nick is obviously a longtime captain of the Columbus Blue Jackets. There's a lot of wild fans that, um, and maybe reporters that have campaigned for once Miko does hang it up, you may be becoming the captain of the Minnesota Wild. Um, it is interesting how you each have like one facet of your dad on the ice, but you are. Very much him off the ice.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, I'll definitely give Nick credit. He's got. I think if you were to roll the highlight reel tape, I think Nick's got a lot more highlights than I do when it comes to scoring goals. But um, yeah, like I said, that's something that we've we've taken away from my dad, and we've we've developed that, and and that's the leadership quality. And I, um, that's not something that's you know I don't think that's something that leadership is something that you can work at and things like that. But it's a it's a big mindset too, and I think just from watching my dad, not only in hockey but off off the ice too, I think that's another thing is that he was a great dad, and mm-hmm. um, he 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 showed love, he showed kindness. Uh, it didn't matter if it was kids or you know us kids, um, anyone that would he would walk up to fans. We we got to see a lot of my dad when he went up to fans and did stuff like that in the community. Um, people love my dad because. Um, he took time and talked to people and things like that, and that just mm-hmm. because of the good person that he is, and I think that just rubs off on us. And um, I just, you know, I never, never got, you know, around to understand why, you know, there is people that uh, don't take time for others in, in this world, and um, you know, a lot of people that when I was in Buffalo would come up to me and just be like, you know, what? I remember this one time, your dad just came out of his way and shook my hand and said, and you know, met me, and they don't know how much that meant to me, and it's just stuff like that that my dad did that. I said, you know, that's, that's how you should be treated. We're, we're, we're athletes, we're professionals and people look up to us in the community. And, and you know, that's what I want to do in Minnesota. And I feel like I have been doing, uh, you know, the past three seasons, um, uh, getting to kind of develop that, uh, that sense of, of character in, in the city of Minneapolis and just in Minnesota and represent the wild. And, um, I think that you take pride in that stuff and that's what I did. That's what my dad did. And, um, I think that goes a long way and, and definitely it's, it's a leadership quality.
1: Uh, This is Michael Russo from The Athletic. Uh, You're listening to Straight from the Source. My guest is uh, Marcus Flino, the star of the Minnesota Wild uh, Born to be Wild video, by the way, uh, which we'll talk more about uh, (laughs) later in the podcast. Um, Your dad, uh, you know, the other thing, uh, by the way, one of my fondest stories that I wrote this season came right at the end, right before the pause. It was a father-son trip out in Vancouver and Edmonton, and I got to do a uh, father-son roundtable that your dad was a part of, Luke Cunnan's dad, Brad Hunt's dad, Matt Dumba's dad. um, God, I'm forgetting the others. Yeah. Ryan Hartman's dad as well. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So they're a good group. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun, fun chat as well. And I know I'm forgetting <laughs> one. Uh, it'll come to me at some point. Um, the interesting thing about your dad, he also had uh, his signature goal celebration, which was the Felino leap. And unfortunately um, you got to score your first NHL goal in 2012 against your brother, by the way, when he played for the Ottawa senators, but you didn't know you scored. So you actually did the Foligno leap. Yeah. Your second goal, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, actually, my first two goals in, in the NHL were, I don't even know if they went off my stick and then they went off someone else's <laughs> body or something like that. So, yeah, my first goal against Ottawa was my second game in the league. And it was against, I was lucky enough to, to play both my games against Ottawa, my first two games. But I never, I tried to, I think I won a battle behind the net and I tried to center it to Drew Stafford. And, uh, Drew Stafford was kind of coming down the pipe and, and I think Daniel Alverson like chopped at it and it ended up like just fluttering in the air and going over Ben Bishop's shoulder and trickling in. But I didn't know. And like, well, Drew Stafford came by, he tried to swipe it out of midair. So I don't know if he hit it. So I was like, I'm not celebrating if This is not my goal. So it kind of just happened so fast that I didn't end up jumping <laughs> until my second one, which was in, which was in Buffalo, which is pretty cool because my dad was actually in the, at the game in Buffalo. So, you know what, things work out the way that they did for a reason. And, uh, it was pretty special doing that and same thing kind of went off my went off my butt or skate or something like that and, and i fell down got back up did the jump and the guys had a pretty good laugh but it was just um you know paying respect to my dad because you know he's the, such a big influence for nick and i and and for my sisters too and um, he's he's the, the big reason why we we made it to where we made it in that's the nhl so uh it was just something to kind of giving a tribute back to him
1: I remember Nick was telling me your first uh, NHL game as well, the game that you scored, and uh, you popped him in the corner and he, he speared you on your way back up the ice. I think you guys have now played each other probably 17 or 18 times. Your first time in Minnesota, coincidentally, you broke your cheekbone, if I remember the game before, with, yeah. po- with all your right. family in town too. I think both your sisters, Kara and Lisa, <laughs> were coming, and uh, a lot and maybe even your dad as well. Um, and then you yeah. didn't even get to play the game. But uh, it's got to be just an absolute thrill to – to you know play games against your brother a, a guy that I don't think people realize that you shared a bedroom with even up to his first year in the NHL right
2: yeah 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 I, I can actually make fun of Nick for that one because he's older at <laughs> the time but yeah I think Nick and I shared a bedroom up until uh Nick got married so it was it was pretty <laughs> pretty, pretty comical but it, it was uh it was a it was a it was a tough uh tough growing up with Nick that's for sure he was just uh he was the one that, I mean, especially sharing a room with him. I mean, he was so, he's got a little bit of OCD in him and organizing and things like that. He would, uh, um, share a room with him, he would come in from the road in, in junior hockey when he played for Sudbury Wolves. And I was just playing in Bantams at the time, but I'd be sleeping. He'd come in from, you know, a bus trip in, in Sudbury. It's about four hours, which is the closest place. So he'd get in around two in the morning. It's a school night and and he would just we had these closets that would like just bang. You couldn't shut them quietly. They had like the magnetic strip on them. So he was the type of guy though that if he came back, he had to put his clothes away perfectly. He couldn't do it the next morning. He had to get it off his chest right away and just get everything done and, and settle before going to bed. But that was the worst part about him. And then he, somehow he would wake me up and he was such a bad <laughs> snorer that he would get right to bed somehow. He was so tired. He would just start snoring that I would be up for another two hours. And that's how my probably from... from 14 years old to 18 years old went so um <laughs> yeah just uh he was he was a treat to, to live with and, and obviously to share a room with but uh, I think that, that's what made us closer we, we pushed each other and um I owe a lot to Nick too because he's he's a, one of the bigger reasons why uh you know obviously make it to the NHL as well
1: yeah can I ask you on a on a, on a you know sensitive topic um you know, I, I want to talk to you also later in the show about the Janice Felino Foundation. But, but how much did you and Nick mm-hmm. really lean on each other and your sisters uh, when your mom passed away so so tragically?
2: Uh, yeah, honestly, I mean, we were, we were a close family, um, obviously, before my mom's passing. But, you know, I think, you know, you can either, you know, drift away a little bit from siblings. I mean, my oldest sister, Kara, she was, um, I believe, kind of like st- in, in her teaching career at that point, she was already done college. So she was kind of out and about and, and, um, living away from us. And then my second old sister, Lisa, um, she was, uh, she was kind of in and out of Sudbury as well with school and things like that. And then Nick was obviously, um, playing, uh, playing for the Ottawa Senators at the time. And, um, yeah, it was just one of those things where I was at home and, um, my I was I was 17 years old I believe turning 18 that summer when my mom passed and and it was really tough I mean we all kind of it brought us all closer because I think that's how you cope a little bit uh, definitely you need family around and and just to help each other through it I mean Nick was you know going through the NHL early NHL years of his of his career and and you know not having a mother through that time is is got to be very tough I was going through my junior career at the time without with, with that happening so. Um, yeah. We know Nick and I, I don't think there was a day that we didn't talk to each other, text each other, call each other, um, stay with my sisters. So, um, it brought us closer. I mean, it, that was, that was the one thing that, uh, I think people realize too, you know, like when we go to visit each other on the road, like we take time, we make sure we go over there. I mean, we're, I, it was a game day, but I still got over there to see him and the kids and it is what it is. It just, it's, it's, it's what you do for your brother and for family. That's how we're raised. And, um, Definitely, definitely really, really close with my brother, and, and uh, I'm glad to be. I mean, there's, it's just, um, you have that support in your corner. It, it's uh, it's so great to use it fully, and, and um, yeah, it's just it was such a tough time through our lives, and, and we're so lucky that we were able to create the Janice Journal Foundation that can honor my mom's memory and, and uh, do good amongst the community and here in Sudbury and, and Northern Ontario, and um, it, it just, you know, it, we just we came became a lot closer as a, as a family after that.
1: Yep, and the Janice Felino Foundation uh, supports local charities up in Ontario to, and research projects uh, um, committed to finding a cure for cancer. Um, and uh, you could go to JaniceFolignoFoundation.com, that's J-A-N-I-S um to uh, learn more about uh, uh, the Foligno Family's uh, foundation and uh, how you can donate and support um, such an incredible endeavor as well. Um, Again, you're listening to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Um, on the athletic uh, and by the way if you're a local business here in the twin cities and want to advertise on straight from the source uh, you can go to the athletic.com slash podcast ads um, each week my podcast is listened to thousands of hockey fans in and around the twin cities and the outskirts of minnesota um, so what better way to promote your business and since the it's amazing since the nhl pause alone um, my guests uh, have included not only marcus uh, but zach parisi jared spurgeon um, let's see alex Daylock, i think devin dubnik brian ralston uh, brad hunt nate prosser bruce boudreau dean evison it's amazing uh so i appreciate all these incredible guests and I, um, if so if you're a gym a hockey shop an insurance company a law firm dental practice whatever there's a great place to get your word out um and again to advertise on this very show just go to the athletic.com slash podcast ads uh there you could fill out a very simple form and we'll get back to you right away again the athletic.com slash podcast ads um again marcus felino uh, my guest here um marcus um I talked to you a couple of weeks ago and I want to talk to you about the Born to be Wild uh, video as well. But um, you were telling me an interesting story that I don't think a lot of people and Brock Besser brought this up to me the other day when I did a feature on him is is how strict the quarantine is up in Canada when you cross the border for that first time. It's a 14 day quarantine. Yeah. And not only is it not only is it. Uh, a quarantine like here, you know, stay at home, but really nobody's been staying at home um, there. They actually will send uh, call your house, send uh, officers to your house to essentially make sure that you are uh, abiding by the quarantine. Right.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was uh, it was I knew it was going to be strict, but I didn't know how strict it was going to be when we la- when We stepped foot in Canada. So um, we had uh, obviously border officers come to our plane and, and um, just kind of uh, kind of give you the rundown. You had to go on like a website and fill in all your information and put the address that you're gonna be at and phone number, um, right and all the your family members names and things like that. Things like that. So, and then you had to like uh, wait to, to when you pressed uh you were done on this website. You had to show the 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 lady um who was the border officer at the time that had us um that there was a green check mark so that you're approved. Um, so it was just one of those things that, you know, it took some time and then it's almost like when you landed, you had 30 minutes of kind of inspection, just where are you going? Um, what car are you using to get back to the house? Um, does anyone live at the house that you're going to? So things like this you just had to answer. And then, yeah, you're on a 14 day self-isolation. And, uh, we were lucky that, you know, obviously we have family up here. So, um, my dad or, or my, my wife's parents, um, uh got to go and and kind of load up our place before uh with groceries and stuff before us landing um so we're able to go for for a while with, with some food and having that all set up but it was one of those things where yeah you got a call once in a while i think every three days i got a call and there was potential that police can come to your house and knock on your door to make sure you're home so that you really aren't lying and you can just answer your phone call anywhere and say yeah yeah i'm home so it's just yeah, they, I mean that—that's the—that's the right. That was the system that was in place. Rightfully so. That's how you uh, can flatten this curve. And, and and being in a small town in Sudbury, uh, we haven't had a case in, in about a couple of weeks now. So that's great news. But um, I just, I guess, that's you know the one one way of, of of kind of squashing this virus is doing that and making sure people are staying safe and. It was just really the anxiety kicks up a little bit because you're just stuck at home a little more and you're thinking someone's going to knock on your door and you don't know what it's going to be and yeah so it's just uh, we just didn't want to obviously you know break any rules so the whole time the the two weeks went pretty quick we were lucky for that um, uh, but uh, we're happy now that we're able to kind of get out and about and do do some things like like to stay at home
1: and didn't didn't you say that you actually kind of had to really talk your daughter into Canada because she
2: yeah they they, because she was born in minnesota obviously um and so she's an american citizen and we haven't uh we haven't filed the paperwork yet for her to become a a canadian citizenship citizenship, so dual citizenship like i am but uh so they gave us a hard time but i was was like what do you want me to do like you want me to leave my she's not too you want me to leave her here and just say okay bring her back to me i like yeah i was just like they they let her in obviously but they could have um if she was probably older to, to say, no, you're not allowed in Canada. So that was one thing that we, we were, you know, kind of stressing on that, that about that 20 minutes of, of getting our, our, you know, bags checked and everything during that time. But lucky for us, we, we, we kept my daughter and, and she's been here and she's been, doing, she's been, she's been, she's been great ever since.
1: Yep, uh, we're talking with Marcus Foligno. Got a lot of Twitter questions for you as well. Um, I did want to ask you, Marcus, like how how long do you think it took you to find your voice in the locker room? Because as as I said. Um You know, at the start of the show, it just seems like the last year, year and a half is when you really came into your own, not just on the ice, but it's like all of a sudden the beat writers realize, wait a minute, why why aren't we interviewing Marcus after every win or loss? Um, Because uh, you're such a great quote. And we obviously it seems like we get you're also the most honest quote. That uh, one of the most honest quotes I've ever been around. Uh, you t- you say it like it is after losses, but but also just you know just seeing what type of leader you are in the locker room now. Uh, you know, and I think the quintessential moment this season was in December in Arizona when. When, you know, you had that monster game, I think he had three points in the game, he had uh, some crazy hits in the game that helped turn the momentum. And then after the game, they give you the hero of the game, uh, uh, Whitewater Rafters helmet, and you go and walk across the locker room and in the most heartfelt way handed it to Devin Dubnik. Um, You know, where did this all come from?
2: Yeah, Stolze still gives me crap for that because he's like, you made me look like a bad guy. I'm like, I knew I wanted to give a doobie, but I'm like, I know, I know. I, I should have done it silently. The, 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 we got the cameras in there now, so, but no, Stolze was going to do it. Uh, he, he knew it was, what it was about, so, um, oh no, it was, it was all fun. But, uh, I, you know what, um, when I first got traded here, I, I obviously, I came into a, a room um, with uh, like, like the leaders we have now. I mean, we have Miko, Zach, Suits, Stalzi, who's won a championship. We had Matt Cullen, who's won three. And and um, I, I just I just came into a room that had that had the leadership there, and um, I just wanted to to listen and and to to, to learn. Obviously, I was under a new coach too, under Bruce, and um, just trying to find my way. And um, yeah, the the first year was challenging for me. I mean, it was it was nothing when it came to like uh, differences in the in the room. I just you know, there's a couple games where I was healthy scratched, and um, I don't know if that was just because of the injury kind of threw me off a little bit in the fight, but just something that I just had to find my way, and 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 I, I kind of you know you have a brother like my you know Nick who's captain in Columbus, and and you bounce things off him, and there's no better person to do it than him because he obviously is a leader, and um, he sees on in his team too things like that, so you you bounce things off him, and and I think the biggest thing was actions are bigger than words, and. I just wanted to play hard, play for my teammates and, and kind of get that, that role that I think I have now where, um, you know, guys want you in the lineup and, and guys feel comfortable when you're in the lineup and, and things like that. And that, that's why I take pride in. And obviously this year has been better offensively for myself and, and, um, you know, for the, for the line that we were, on, that I was on a lot. And, and it, it was definitely a better season in that regard, but, um, I, I just, I'm I'm a big believer that if you want to, you know, hoot and holler and, and, you know, kind of push guys in a direction, you got to, you got to back it up. And, and, um, I was actually really loving it because of the, the Michael Jordan, the, the last dance, um, documentary that, that was on. And, um, obviously Michael Jordan was, was, a, a just a different breed. He was, i like leadership wise. It was just remarkable to kind of see that, um, Cause he's, he's, you know, I looked up to that guy when I was um, all the, all the stuff when Nick, Nick loved Michael Jordan. I remember that. So we always love watching some of his highlights and then um, just his championships. You don't really see, you know, you see him win six, but you don't know how, and now they're going through all that. You just see the type of person he was, he, he backed it up. He was never going to push someone um, if he couldn't do it himself. So I think that's the thing that, you know, looking at that, um, I think that's that's part of being a leader. You have to back up your your words, you have to have action and um, um I feel like this year I think better than the last two for sure. Um, but it's just something that I feel comfortable in that room. Um I get along with everyone. We have a we have a great room now and, and um we we're clicking obviously this year and at the right time and um I just feel like that's that's my that's that's my goal is to go back and to still have that voice and, and to to push our team and um, to rely on my teammates too, not to be just a uh, hoot and holler guy, but just to expect everyone to to push and be excited come, when we do come back to to go after a
1: championship. Well, it's certainly Marcus, I think very interesting that that Bill Guerin called you to get the born to be wild video going. Uh, I think it says everything about his respect level for you and, and how much your teammates uh, like you um, Brett Marshall and Noah Grant ask uh, questions about that born uh, to be wild video. Um, you know how, how did it come about? Can you? I did a story on this for The Athletic, so if you didn't read it, uh, make sure you go back in our archives. But can you kind of give everybody a synopsis on how it came about? And, and uh, Brett Marshall asked, what was your strategy for rallying teammates behind something that could have been corny if it wasn't done right?
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I was just sitting on uh, my couch one day and I uh, get a call. I said, that Billy Guerin's calling me. So I go, oh, okay, I don't know what this is about. But uh, – <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you know, whenever GM calls you, your herbs gets to beat you when you get traded once you, you you start to tend to think things like that, but obviously not during the quarantine time, but you pick it up and then it's, uh, you, you know, obviously Billy G is awesome. So, so easy to talk to. And, and then, you know, five minutes into the conversation, he just says, Hey, the reason why I'm calling is, um, we want to create this video and it's coming from, uh, Craig Leopold. So, um, you know, you got to do it because it's the owner and, uh, pretty much right between the lines. And, um, it was, it was great. It was, it was, it was it was fun to be a part of. I was just trying to think, you know, obviously great that, I don't know, maybe Billy heard me my singing or something while walking by the showers or something. Maybe that's why he thought of me as the guy to do it. But, um, I automatically just, he just said, try to rally up the guys rather rather the boys. And, and uh, see what we can do so immediately uh i got a text from aaron sickman right after because obviously billy g was in, in contact with uh, aaron sickman and uh from there we just started talking with uh, aaron and, and going back and forth and seeing how we can just get the guys on board and and i think at first we didn't want to just say something that we needed we need a song so like i said i, I Called Matt Dumba, me and him Facetime for about 45 minutes one day, and and uh, we just went back and forth with some videos and, and uh, some some songs that we could do, and uh, and then one night Dumb just kind of sent me this song, the the Born to Be Wild, and uh, I was like, yeah, this is perfect. So we then sent it to Sickie right away because we kind of had a time crunch within the week, and uh, I don't know it's you know during quarantine we're so busy anyway, so it's tough to do it, but uh, no, I'm just joking. And then so it was. Uh, it was easy from there. Sicky like kind of handled it all and sent it out to the guys, and there was some, there was some, you know, guys saying really sticky. But then Eric Stahl threw in the video right away, and that kind of broke the ice. So thank God for Stalzy to do that because then, you know, being the older guy with kids, it got everyone involved, and and uh, it seemed to just kind of video started flowing in from there. And I think a week later we had the video all set up and ready to go. So um, it, it was fun. I mean, it was, they were trying to think about making guys do certain parts of it, but then they just said. You know what? Send us as much video as you can of it until you're you feel like you're embarrassed, and then uh, we'll edit it to make it look like you're not embarrassed. So it, it was pretty good, and then Al Stalock was the cherry on top for sure. I mean that uh, that slide didn't know what was coming.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> poor, and then poor Simon <laughs> Alex's son just started crying. And if you haven't watched this video, uh, the Born to Be Wild video, unfortunately, I don't think you can only really at this point watch gifts because they only paid for the songs, the licensing of the song for a week. Um, but right. it is it's it was a really fun story. Um, you know, my favorite parts was uh, first of all Marcus was the star of the story, and it's a dream sequence to start and to end. Uh, but uh, I mean, Ryan Hartman duck hunting like like the you know uh, like the duck hunter um what's that guy's yeah, name that was awesome. duck dynasty right Duck D- um, dynasty yeah yeah but i think galchenyuk's cat just attacking him that was probably a great that was a great part yeah as that was well. perfect
2: that's that's yeah. that was that sums up chucky as he's in the room too he just he just wired like that too
1: uh i know I, I asked craig leopold his favorite part and he said it was spurgeon because he had no idea it was spurgeon and it's so true if it wasn't for <laughs> the credits at the end of the video I, I would I didn't know it was Spurgeon and his kids either uh, you know you and that's been kind yeah. of the fun part of this whole pause I, I talked to Jared Spurgeon about this on my podcast a couple of weeks ago with Marcus but you know Spurgeon's one of those guys he's got the richest contract in wild history and it feels like just now he's letting people into his life and to see the, what type of personality he is. He's, <laughs> he's on Instagram and doing stuff like that it's yeah. kind of funny I mean, yeah, stuff yeah, that you, I'm sure, easy. have known is that Spurge actually has a sense of humor and things like that. So,
2: yeah, no, exactly. I think people are enjoying seeing that side of Spurge because we all yeah. see it on a daily basis. But uh, he's he's pretty quiet when it comes to the the media.
1: Uh, you're listening to straight from the source with Michael Russo to subscribe to the athletic, the slash straight from the source. That is uh, uh, you'll get in for 40 percent off. And not only do we have thousands of uh, r- uh, articles a week, I mean, literally, uh, but we have podcasts throughout, uh, oh, I think, more than 100 podcasts right now and several in the NHL. And uh, Kevin Weeks just did a podcast with uh, with uh, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun. Um, on two-man advantage at The Athletic. That's going to be a must listen. I covered Kevin in Florida. He's one of my uh, best buddies, and you know that he has had a lot of thoughts um, about what's been going on from a social and justice point of view. Uh, the last uh, week and a half, and obviously for centuries in this in this country, uh, so definitely listen to that. And and if you missed uh, Two Man Advantage last week, Nick Foligno was their guest. Um, also, Dan Cloutier joins VanCast this week with Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance. Um, Dan, I'm sure, it talks about the 2003 Minnesota Wild-Vancouver Canucks series. I just did a story today with Thomas Drantz on the Wild-Canucks series from the eyes of Travis Green and Dean Evason, so uh, make sure you read that. And then Cam Atkinson of the Columbus Blue Jackets joins Aaron Portsline and Allison Lucan on front. Nationwide at The Athletic Uh, Those two writers have the pleasure of covering Nick Foligno um, with the Columbus Blue Jackets Um, Marcus as I mentioned I have a lot of Twitter questions from you I'll try to breeze through some of them here uh, Just because so many Wild fans uh, 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 Definitely uh, Love and and Love watching you play and have a lot of questions Uh, Joe Hedy asks uh, And this is in my feature I wrote on you And Nick uh, a couple years ago but why the nickname Moose how did it come about
2: yeah, that, that was. I think I was. I don't know if my family named me that. I feel like maybe my my mom did or or my sisters. I think I was just when I was younger, I was getting taller than Nick, but I was breaking breaking bones. I remember I broke my ankle a couple times uh, playing basketball when I was going through my growth spurt. So I was just, I was kind of uncoordinated and gangly like a, like a moose looks, but kind of big, but just not not really uh, proportionate. So let's put it that way. So I got the nickname Moose and, and just being a, one of the bigger guys in my family and extended family, I think the family got a, a ride out of that. So um, it kind of stuck. And then I went to the dressing room with with the, whatever team I was on from from Midget to Bantam and, and then to juniors. And then it just kind of steamrolled from there.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a funny part of that Felino brother story is that. Uh, and Nick said that <laughs> you are clumsy like a moose, you're skating and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Oliver uh, asked um, we kind of talked a little bit about this, but uh, when arriving to a new team when you're a veteran who has many leadership qualities, is, is it hard to sit back and get a feel for things, or do you try to assert yourself quickly in voice and uh, uh, and get your voice in the room? You talked a little bit about that, but but you know at first you did kind of take a let me inspect everything before showing everybody the type of player that in person you are, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think you just got to get a feel of the room. And, 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 you know, at at the end of the day, you're going to, you know, a totally different room that no one really knows who you are personally. So I think getting close to guys and and understanding how guys work and and who guys really are and um, uh, people in the organization. You know, there's so much staff that does things uh, outside of the hockey, even the community, getting to know those people. I think, yeah, just you just take a step back. You just try to – you know it takes a season yeah but um, you know looking back and it, 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 I wouldn't change anything I think it's uh, it's set me up in a pretty good spot and, and uh, I've been loving Minnesota ever since
1: um, uh, Rob Lewis uh, we, we, we he asked uh, you know uh, just how do you resemble your brother and your father in terms of playing style you talked a little bit about that general uh, soreness asked as a kid uh, Demarcus and Nick spending time at the rink with your dad you talked about that you guys were very young but he also asked which of your dad's teammates did you look up to?
2: um you know what i mean teammates wise um
1: you were real young uh, I mean, so it's probably more yeah, as you really mentioned young. the players he coached
2: yeah i mean there's if there was some players that he played with that i look back at now i mean nick and i actually were on a call with uh sports that along uh last week with my dad on it and uh, we just mentioned that like you know we love when he played with wendell clark um uh, mm-hmm. doug gilmore guys that that had that that sandpaper to their game and, and that leadership qualities and, and they're great players too so much fun to watch and um, you know I was lucky I was fortunate enough to get coached by Lindy Ruff in Buffalo and Lindy played with my dad in Buffalo and um, I was like you know he was just a hard-working guy my dad always talked about Lindy Ruff when we were younger on how much he respected him and things like that and um, it was so cool to you know come into the NHL and there's your you know, your head coach is Lindy Roth too so Yep, no doubt um, and what's like guys really guys neat like about
1: that yeah, is Lindy definitely... also coached your dad uh, in Florida
2: yeah yeah that's right yeah I know it's, yeah it's just it's crazy how that works and and um yeah so that was that was that was a guy that I, I looked up to right from the get-go when
1: I got into the league no doubt um uh I remember your dad once told me real men have scars that's something he embedded and <laughs> put in your head right at the beginning of your playing days I'm sure
2: real men have broken noses or something that's what you live by too
1: um <laughs> Tun squad asks, I won't put you on the spot with this question, but he asks, uh, can you can you get Eichel uh, to leave Buffalo and come to Minnesota? But, you know, let's turn the question a little bit. I'm sure you saw Eichel <laughs> talking. I'm sure you saw Eichel yeah. talking the other day, how it's been a long five years, just all the losing. Um, I'm sure you could relate, right? I mean, that that was another thing, I'm sure, when you got to Minnesota, that it's it's hard to go in that locker room and make a lot of noise when, when as you've said many times, you were coming from a team where you had never made the playoffs and, and wanted to become a winner. Um, so I'm sure you could Relate to what Jack Eichel is dealing with right now?
2: Yeah, you know what I, I feel for Jack. I, I I really do. I think uh, you know, just from being there when he was a rookie coming in the league, um, he's matured so much. And um, you know, I just think that he he's he's top ten players in the league. He's he's an unbelievable player, and he's so much fun to watch every night. And he he's led that team to. Um, pretty much all of their victories this year. Honestly, I can, I think you know, everyone can test that. I think he has, his play this year has been unbelievable. And, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that's backing up with action right now. So, um, is he frustrated? Yeah. Cause he doesn't want to, he hates losing and he's a winner and, in his head, and that's, that's, if I'm a Buffalo fan, I love it. I think that's what you, you need in order to turn around a franchise like that. Um, you know, it sucks going through the years that I had because that's what we wanted. We wanted to be winners, but you know, that's what it takes to rebuild. And, you know, as as going through it too, I feel bad for the Buffalo community. And and I'm always be a little bit of a Sabres fan just because I grew up watching them and I played for them. And, um, you want, you know, as much as you, when you get traded, you're like, you know, I hope they never win. But at the same time too, that, that city just deserves it. They, they, they deserve playoffs. It's so much fun. The community gets behind it. I've seen it before. I've been to those games. I've been to the, the, the the heartbreaker against Dallas stars in overtime. Um, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, a, a guy like Jack Eichel, I don't think you'll you ever remove him from Buffalo. But um, to answer that question, would I would I love him in Minnesota? Absolutely, <laughs> but I don't think we'll ever get there. But uh, I I wish him nothing but the best in, in Buffalo, and I know he'll he'll turn that uh, he that franchise around around pretty soon. Uh,
1: Aaron Heckman, who who uh, is a blogger in town, I think I owe a phone call to, um, uh, asks Moose, what is your go-to pregame meal?
2: Um, we actually go with, uh, on the, when we're at home, we go with all the guys. Uh, majority of us go to a rezzo, uh, in uh, close to our homes in Edina and, uh, it is a, uh, Italian spot. So I'm just, um, spaghetti and, uh, chicken, chicken cutlets and, uh, a little salad. And then, um, that's pretty much it. There's, there's nothing really else after that. I mean, I get up and then, uh, a
1: little, a little, uh, toast and peanut butter
2: Coffee and the way I go to the rink.
1: Uh, Justin Backey asks, uh, who by the way runs the Kaprasov Countdown Twitter account. Um, what is the <laughs> hardest part knowing that you finally get a chance to play in the playoffs play and have a playoff run, only to see so, only to have so many unknowns and have the season end so abruptly? And and do you find it exciting that that you could have a startup and go directly in the playoffs and have a chance at winning the cup?
2: Yeah, I mean it's frustrating what what happened. Um, obviously, just the the halt of the season and, and uh, you know our push to get in the playoffs. Obviously, COVID. 19, it was bigger than, than sports we all know that we've heard that many times and um the NHL did a great job on on reacting to it and um but at the same time we all I, I know we're we all want to get back to playing I mean that's that's the biggest thing I know I, I want to I know the guys in our room want to um it's just doing it in a safe manner that's all and uh if we can accomplish then that, that accomplish that then we'll be back and um we'll be excited because I think the way our team was was going. I don't think it's gonna take long for us to get back into it. I think guys will be excited to see each other. Um obviously playing in front of no fans is is totally a, a different story. But um I, I think you know, I was talking to Luke kind of about it. I think once that puck drops and you're playing against Vancouver best of five series, I don't think you're gonna be thinking too much besides just the game. So um I, I honestly believe that once it once the first game gets started, it's gonna be business as usual and, and um you know, we're playing for the Stanley cup. I think mean, that's the, that's the biggest prize and that's what everyone will be focused on.
1: Yep. No doubt. Um, let me ask you this, um, in a couple more minutes with, uh, Marcus who has been extremely generous with his time this morning. Um, Marcus, uh, you know, I'm, do, I'm working on this story about what hockey might look like actually on the ice and not just ha, not having crowds there, which will be very weird. Um, but, you know, like baseball is trying to outlaw spitting and sunflower seeds and, and all that type of stuff. Um, it is pretty impossible to social distance when you're playing the game of hockey. Um, but do, do you foresee that they might have little rules that try to keep stuff, uh, you know, tell you to limit spitting, avoid, go. you know, uh, Goalmouth goal mouth scrums, uh, not fight, you know, things like that. Do you, do you see them negotiating things like that to try to um, limit the potential fear or risks of COVID-19? Or do you think the goal is to just have a re- such a strict bubble that people can't penetrate that as long as you guys, they know by testing you that you're healthy, that then you can play hockey the way it was designed to be played?
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just can't see the game being played in that type of situation where you like no goal mouth, like, you know what I mean? Like no, no fighting, no, um, I get it that you use maybe your own water bottle on the bench and things like that. I think that's the, we, we do stuff to limit that stuff. I mean, but I, I think you're just then taken away from the game. And, and that to me is, is we got to make sure that we keep the integrity of the, of the game, the integrity of the Stanley Cup playoffs intact. And if we can, like you said, create that bubble where, you know, we're getting tested. We're, we're staying in strict areas. We're having dinner with only the people that we're with on a daily basis and things like that. And we have meal ser- areas set up, and I, I, I'm all for it. But I just – I think if you do that, people's games change. You know, roles on certain guys change. I just – there's there's a um, – playing the game and, and winning games is, is uh, about – sometimes the fear goes into playing certain teams and then um if you take away all that physicality stuff because we can't get too close then uh, i don't know i don't know i just don't i don't see that being being uh, great for people even tuning in to watch us to be honest with you because that's just going to take take away with the the integrity of, of, of our sport
1: no doubt and, and the goal again is to keep everybody safe and uh, and maybe that bubble is the way to do that. You mentioned Luke Cunning, I mean, there's somebody that has diabetes. Uh, it's pretty imperative yeah. that that uh, that he is healthy. You know that he that he doesn't it's have absolutely. that fear. Yeah. You know? um, a couple more questions with Marcus, uh, the dog father. It's one of my favorite Twitter account names. Um, As uh, here's a fun question: If the Felinos were on a line together, who does he think would have the most penalty minutes, points, goals, and hits? Um, pretty fun. Pretty fun question there
2: um that's that's so who would have the most penalty minutes we'll start with that yeah i I think i would because i think nick stirs up so much crap that i would have to come in and and help him out and probably fight the guy that he pisses off so um (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. that's that's it um i'd probably have to i'd probably be with the penalty minutes goals um i don't know i mean I, i i nick nick likes to pass he's a pass for he's a pass first type guy so um, although we, my dad stresses that he should shoot more, shoot more because he's got such a good shot, but I think uh, maybe I would have more goals than him too. So, um, but hey, I would love, that'd be awesome to play with my brother one, one day and, and it would make it a lot easier on my family. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think we were in Edmonton and, uh, and, uh, man, f- f- wasn't it the game, that game where Nick scored that incredible goal and, and like went like straight into the boards or something and cut his face or. Well, oh yeah he got a puck in the face yeah, yeah that's what was. it was <laughs> in, in a yeah, game yeah, that he scored yeah. an unbelievable goal in so yeah he went crazy. through
2: his legs i know like kind he's been that's the type of player nick is i mean, he, he shows it all he shows dashes of uh, uh, brilliance and then he can he can be as tough as anyone so yeah um, yeah that
1: was that was a great game yeah and you know, i think you were watching it with your dad because it was the father son trip um josh asks, uh, what's your favorite career moment
2: my favorite career moment? Um, is a good question. I mean, there's always you're always gonna remember your first NHL goal. I think to me, honestly, um, I, I think my first taste of playoffs. Um, there was no better feeling in, in the world at that time. I honestly got. Like it was, uh, it was such a cool experience. I, I've wanted it for so long. Um, coming from Buffalo, um, and then just being in Winnipeg too of all markets, which the fans were crazy. I just the hype around playoffs is something I'll never forget, and I want more of it. It's, it's, it sucks that I haven't had that much playoff experience, but just going through that Winnipeg series, um, you know, I just I, I feel it, it is it is the best type of hockey that you can ever play.
1: A uh, final three or four questions with Marcus Foligno, uh, Jenna Christensen, who I think. Yep. Uh, she, uh, played at Gustavus. I knew I recognized the name. Uh, what was your style of play at the beginning of your career and how has it changed? Ha- have you found that your, your style has changed or is it the same? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think, I think things have been tweaked. I mean, uh, I definitely become like more of a, a defensive, um, I don't want to say defensive minded, but I just, I take pride in that. And, um, I just, when you come into the league as from juniors to the NHL, you know, there's growing pains. I think there was some things where I thought I was a little more, a little more skilled um, in a sense of like beating guys one-on-one. I realized that in the NHL guys are just so good that um, there's just different ways to get around or get free from guys or get into certain spots. Um, But yeah, I would just say, you know, there's just some things that I felt like uh, came in the league, maybe, you know, obviously I came in the league and had a pretty good production going on with uh, my first stint. And, um, you know, there's growing pains and, 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 you know, you, you, you kind of get pushed into certain roles from certain coaches and, um, but definitely I find myself more as a role player now than I, than I'd maybe, uh, entered the, entered the, my, my career into the NHL. So, um, definitely something I just, I'd take more pride in and being that steady, um, two way player.
1: Yep. And if you look at the analytics, uh, Marcus is, uh, I mean the numbers don't lie. One of the best defensive forwards in the NHL. Um, John has a great question. Does Marcus have any aspirations of coaching, like maybe your father did after his playing career is over? You're only 28. Yeah, I mean, so no, We're not trying to rush yeah. you. But...
2: <laughs> no, I know, I know. You don't want to think of that stuff too early. But no, honestly, I, I, I would. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to coach. Um, uh, you know what ranks? I'm not sure. Obviously, you have to work your way up. But uh, I think you know, just seeing my dad go through it and, and being around, uh, I think it's, it's, it's something, you know, that would be, uh, very interesting to me and, um, still connect you to hockey. And, and I think helping players out would be something that I'm interested in getting the best out of players that I saw my dad go through. Um, and that, that's something that, that, uh, makes you feel good as a person. Um, and, and yeah, definitely. I would love to love to stay in, in touch with hockey after I'm done playing and, and, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll time. Only time will tell when when that is. So hopefully it's not for yep. another ten years.
1: A final couple questions. I promise, Marcus uh, Scott asked uh, ask him about the rookie he roughed up earlier this year. Did the reverse happen to him when he was a rookie? I remember that. I can't remember the kid's name, but you beat the living crap out of a kid for I th- who did he hit? He hit somebody, um, and you went um, after him. But then it, you, but then you drill, uh, drill Yeah, yeah, and who did he hit that made yeah. you do it? I can't can't remember. Um, but either way, you funny, you. funny thing about,
2: funny thing about that uh, that the fight against Joel Farabee is I I guess he was um he was I think he's from Buffalo or or uh, Western New York a little bit. Anyways, uh, he when I was playing in Buffalo, um, I got a text from one of the PR guys that that night after I fought him, and he goes, "Do you remember Joel Faraby?" And I go, "No, I don't remember Joel Faraby. I, I just know he. I think Joel's." Is he 18, 19 year old, 19 year old right now or 20? I forget how old he is he right now. But he goes, Um, you went out to one of his um uh they have a Quebec team in, in Buffalo, Buffalo Junior Sabres. And I believe I went out to when I was my first year in in uh, Buffalo or second year in Buffalo, I went out to one of their practices and I practiced with this with this young team, this Pee Wee team at the time. <laughs> and that Joel Farabee kid was on that team, and I was like the guest. Uh, skater to come <laughs> skate with him at practice and he goes, just to let you know that kid is now in the NHL and you just fought him and I go, he's like, not to make you feel old or anything and I'm like, oh my god, but I give credit to that Joel Fabry kid, he's, he's a tough kid and I think like I said that before, you know, guys like that that do that at a young age, that's how I kind of was raised too, you come in in order to win guys over, you have to stand up for yourself and sometimes you gotta fight and that's maybe that's the old school mentality, but um kudos to, to, to joe i mean he was and you a let up and I, I think he's i think he's known for I, I want him to be known more for it's it's a lot easier if you're more for a skilled guy and, and scoring goals and stuff like that but you know kudos to him i I'm, I'm, you're under a lot of respect into that dressing room that day
1: yeah and he uh and you definitely let up on him and uh it's funny whenever you uh beat the heck out of somebody i usually put out the the youtube video of you fighting ryan carter once <laughs> that didn't that didn't end very well oh, for ryan and- Cardi must hate you. <laughs> I know. I do it like every single time. <laughs> um, it's gotten older. At last two, I promise. Uh, Kat asks, um, Here's a good question. What strengths of the wild make you feel that you guys can make a deep playoff run?
2: That's a good question. Um, honestly, I just I love their I love their kind of our fire, firepower that we had at the end of the season. Um, obviously, led led by Kev and and um, I don't know. I just felt like we had a little bit more of a balance with lines. Now we're figuring that out. Um, you know, we were obviously winning too, and and just playing the right way, and and our starts were a lot better. I think that's one thing that I really liked in the last probably twelve games. Um, we were starting on time, and I know it's stupid to say that starting on time, but you know that's probably one of the biggest things after a loss is you know you always talk about the start and and um, but yeah, I just I we always were ready. Um, we had a lot of production from a lot of lines. I mean, I don't even know if you call them the fourth line. I think there's, I think we have two third lines with with Miko, Hartsey, and Donnie sometimes, and Raski filling in. I mean, those guys were scoring too, and and we were getting contributions from everyone, and and um, I we we're just we we're just rolling. It was it was a good feeling in that room. Um, I feel like you know when it comes playoff time, the physicality in our room is not a question. Um, our stamina is great. Um. Uh, we, we, we obviously feel good going in against Vancouver, um, from the success success we have had against them in the season. Um, and yeah, we just, I just feel like, you know, as, as a player in that dress room, you just, when you know, you're confident, you're confident. That's the, that's the type of feeling that you had every time you walked into that dress room, uh, at the end of the season.
1: I just got to ask you this because it's actually hilarious, and I didn't realize the resemblance. But Dust Bowl Dano goes, "Can you ask him how he manages to juggle playing quarterback for the Vikings and playing for the Wild?" Have you? I had no clue how much you look like Kirk Cousins. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I mean, it is hilarious! This gift that I saw, he put—I saw uh,
2: like uh, one of those memes or something like that. Like, yeah. uh, when did? Uh, yeah, when did? Um, I don't know someone said. I think when did Kirk Cousins? Play for the wild or something like that. They reversed it a little bit or something. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely. uh, Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, uh, I would trade. I would trade uh, spots just for Kirk's salary, maybe.
1: <laughs> no doubt, especially his <laughs> new contract. Uh, um, although, here here's a good final question, and this is from his brother. I think I'm pretty sure that guy Dano's brother Kyle tweeted this. Uh, what is your first order of business as the new captain of the Minnesota Wild? Uh, I won't ask you that, but I have been saying, you know, if I were Bill Guerin this summer, um, this off season, whenever that off season begins, I would talk to you right away about an extension uh, with with the letter C on your chest. Um, you know. I won't ask you that, but have you started talking yet or is it too soon where, where your agent Pat Morris will start talking to the wild about an extension?
2: You know what? I, uh, I just haven't much, honestly, I, I don't think you can start talking until uh, after July yep. 1st, I believe, or June 1st. Yeah, and, and that's going to probably be yeah. pushed
1: back. Uh, they're going to, all these yeah, dates exactly. that are in the calendar are going to be pushed. Yep.
2: Yeah. You know what? My, my, my goal is just to, when we do come back is to be ready and, and and to build off of uh, the season that i was having and and um you know obviously would would love to sign an extension in minnesota no 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 doubt so um i'll, I'll let uh, the agents work and and billy work that <laughs> stuff out but um i'm i'm focused on getting back to minnesota eventually here and and getting on our quest for the Stanley Cup
1: yeah, what, what is the plan now? Because, I mean, eventually here, Phase 2 is going to begin probably by the end of the week. But, you know, from talking to a ton of players this week, it doesn't sound like a lot of wild players are actually going to take advantage of going to the practice facility to to work out and, and, and skate. Do you think it's mo- more likely, especially with the quarantine, that you'd have to do back here in the States, that maybe you just stay and work out with your brother up, up in Canada? Yeah, you
2: know what? Yeah, honestly, that's the feeling I'm getting. I, I think we're just going to – as much as phase two might get going on here and you know trio will open up and guys can skate there and and start working out in groups i think you know wherever guys are right now and they got a good thing going they're going to just stay put and uh try to skate if they can and and just get their workouts in with their their trainers back home and and if there's a time where we set the training camp date i think that's when guys will, will start getting back i think um there's no rush to get guys in and then what happens if nothing moves forward right so they're so they're kind of stuck in in that situation. So if they can stay with their family for now and and um, work out like my situation is, I, I I'm not gonna go back until uh, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a set date for training camp.
1: Yep. And that's what I'm hearing is that uh, even the, the guys in Europe, uh, they're going to skate and work out over there. Yeah. Nobody's he's going to really come back until until uh, all immigration hoops are, are cleared and and um, and phase three is officially approved by the players. There has to be another vote to uh, to yeah, have an actual exactly. official return to play. Um, hey, Marcus, I really appreciate you joining. Uh, you know, obviously, as you know, from afar, it's been a real stressful uh, time. Uh, in the in the Twin Cities, in a real stressful time, you know, all over the world and the United States, and I think just to offer a little distraction and talk hockey and, and help all of us get our mind off. Uh, real life is uh, pretty therapeutic, so really, thanks for being a part of that.
2: No, no problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, you yeah, know stay safe, stay healthy, and hopefully, we'll see you back in uh, in a month's time.
1: Uh, thanks. And that is Marcus Foligno on Straight from the Source. And uh, check out our comments section for each podcast episode on the Athletic app. And uh, make sure you follow uh, Straight from the Source on the Athletic app. And uh, if you're listening on Apple, don't don't forget to rate and subscribe to Straight from the Source on Apple. If you click on the show URL, which is com slash Straight from the Source, you'll get 40% off your subscription. Thanks, Marcus. Well, thanks, Michael.